Sin stinks. Sin makes your life stink. Sin can even make your city stink. Do you smell what I smell? <laughs> this is the deep end. This is the Bible. And this is the Deep End Podcast, where we talk about the Bible in modern day language. Thank you for joining us. This is the Deep End. Happy Wednesday. Happy, happy, happy Wednesday. 12 noon, Deep End Podcast time. I am your host, Tim Hatch, pastor of Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And I'm so glad that you are joining us, whether it's online through Facebook or through YouTube um, or through the radio station that we are now on at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Welcome to you. So I would like to start off by saying welcome to you. Welcome audiences. Welcome to our growing Deep End audience. Our Deep End audience is growing. It's on the move. So glad. Last week's episode got tons of views from all over the country, all the way over to California. Uh, We are excited about that. I love hearing about that. And we are also on AM 1240 in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, FM 99.3 on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Download the app, tune in, and you can listen to that station on any device. AM 1240, Woonsocket, FM 99.3. Again, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you are. If you are on YouTube or Facebook, please let us know in the comments where you're watching from. Now, I want to say something about our online audience, because you make the podcast even better. I love your comments. I want to say this as clearly as I can. Keep the comments coming. I love your comments, even the angry faces. Last week, got a lot of angry faces, lots of angry faces. I expected that. I'm, I'm not offended by that, ever. Um, you know, it's not supposed to be agreeable with everybody, what we talk about when we talk about scripture. It's offensive, and I totally get it, you know, and I really want you to understand something, that I want your comments, even if you disagree with what I say. Uh, I'd love to address your disagreement, um, but do so in a respectful manner, you know, unless you want to call me a name, I don't care. But the fact of the matter is, um, I appreciate all comments, and I read all the comments, and so love to hear where you're watching from. Uh, also, positive feedback is appreciated for the Deep End Podcast, and we got a lot of positive feedback for last week's message, uh, last week's podcast, and I thank you for that. This came from one of our church members here at Waters Church in North Attleboro. Uh, Sue Trombley wrote in, I don't do the social media thing, but wanted to let Pastor Tim know that I was blown away by yesterday's podcast. Love your insight into the book of Revelation. Well, thank you, Sue. That makes you my favorite church member. As of right now, you hold that position. (laughs) It doesn't take much, doesn't take much to get on my good side. But I love comments. All that to say, I love comments. I love your feedback. And the feedback is what makes the podcast more interesting for me. Because sometimes it just goes out there in in the airwaves. It goes out there into the internet, and I don't know what the heck it's doing. So... Good, bad, ugly, I don't care what it is. Just send it in because I want to see what's going on with you. When it comes to the angry stuff too, the stuff that you know people hate it, well, guess what? Jesus told us that if everybody likes you, something's wrong. Uh, Luke chapter 6, 26, he says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, when all people, okay? When everybody's saying how awesome you are, woe to you, Jesus says. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. And with that in mind, 
uh, I'd like to get to and ask anything. So here's a question that came in uh, for me on the podcast. Hey, Pastor Tim, I have in-laws who are Catholics. I try talking to them about their religion, ask them to consider leaving Catholicism, which they replied saying, I have my religion and you have yours. What can I do to help them? Do Catholics get saved, even though they have lots of paganism and idolatry in their religion? Okay, well, a lot of angry faces came in last week for the Catholic question, the Catholic stuff that I talked about last week. And so I thought, let me talk about this. Let me answer this question uh, because it's kind of relevant to the topic. Uh, second, first off, um, Catholics, many Catholics are saved. So, you know, I'm not a big fan of saying if a Catholic is saved and they just really relate well to Christ through the Catholicism faith, the, the, the faith of Catholicism, I don't think you should encourage them to leave. Um, I don't say that our church is any better than any other church or our denomination better than any other denominations, although we are non-denominational, which, by the way, is becoming a denomination in and of itself. But the point is, is that the fact is you don't really want to get into the discussion of, hey, come to my church before you just talk about Jesus. Like if I was related to your in-laws and they said things like that and they started having conversations around faith, uh, I would answer as a Christian. I would talk to them about Jesus. I would ask questions like, here's a, a strategy. I treat them like they're a member of Waters Church already. Just say, hey, what's the Lord doing in your life? <laughs> if they say nothing, well, they say, why? You know, what are you praying for? What can I pray for you about? You know, love your neighbor. Love your family. Love people. And, and loving them does not necessarily mean trying to convert them to your kind of Christianity. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're just going to leave people where they are and not try to foist your particular brand of Christianity on anyone. Now, I do, I, all that being said, I don't say that all roads lead to heaven. There's a lot of false Christianities out there. There's a lot of false Catholics out there. By the way, there's a lot of false non-denominational Christians out there, uh, people who basically worship you know, the, with the same songs that we would worship with here at Water Church. They would go to the same kind of churches that we would go to, but their faith is not in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Their faith is in their church attendance or their non-denominational church or whatever, whatever you know, uh, faith system that they ascribe to. Your faith has to be rooted in what Jesus has done for you, and it really doesn't matter at the end of the day whether that's whether you get a hold of that through the Methodist denomination, the Lutheran denomination, the non-denominational denominations, if there is such a thing, or whatever, because it's about Jesus, friend. It's about Jesus. So talk to them about Jesus. Don't try to get them to Waters Church before you just talk to them about Jesus. See where that goes. That's how you can help them. Uh, and then this question, even though they have lots of paganism and idolatry in their religion. I get that. That's true. There's a lot of paganism and idolatry in Catholicism, but there's a lot of paganism and idolatry in every denomination, even in the Methodist, especially the Methodist denomination. There's a lot of paganism about uh, sexual morality and idolatry around, um, you know, the uh, uh, John Wesley Methodism kind of form of the faith. So this is not uh, unique to the Catholics. It's not even... Uh, not even exempt to us, paganism and idolatry. There's a problem with non-denominational churches right now that I see, which is celebrity pastor worship, you know, and I think that this is becoming a serious plague on the non-denominational churches out there with these gigachurch pastors, and they're just so huge. And, you know, then you get the Instagram uh, page called Preachers with Sneakers or Preachers in Sneakers. Has anybody seen that? (laughs) here in the studio, preachers with sneakers. And so they have all these posts of these very famous gigachurch pastors with these very expensive sneakers. Now, if you can afford sneakers like that, 
okay, great, but I mean, I don't know if you should do that. I don't know. I, I think that if you're a preacher and a pastor, there does come, there should be some limit of extravagance in your life. At some point, you should say, you know what, I have enough, and I think I need to give more away. Um, but I don't fault anybody for living a good life and a wealthy life and a prosperous life. But as a preacher, I do think that you're going to get judged more severely for how you live your life. Whether that judgment of more severity comes from Christ himself or from the church or from the world, um, I think it comes from all three. And you're going to have to live accountable to those things. However, that so all that to be say, all that to say is even in the non-denominational world, there's paganism. There's idolatry where we make, you know, even just the worship styles a paganist kind of thing. Where I think you see in the one I'm off on a tangent already, but <laughs> there's a there's a trend in our kind of church to make worship more about me than about Jesus. Lots of songs that we tell our worship directors here at Waters Church, don't sing that song. Even some of our worship directors can just, they smell it. They smell the pagan. The, it's almost like, I call it Jesus makeout music, which is like Jesus becomes your boyfriend. And I think that's just like the worst, <laughs> worst kind of music out there, where basically if you could take a worship song and you can substitute Jesus for you or him or her, and it becomes a pop song that would be sung by a pop singer of today's culture, and no one would be none the wiser that it was actually a worship song, ditch the song. The song is garbage. We shouldn't be singing to Jesus like he's our boyfriend. We should be honoring and glorifying Jesus for who he is, King of kings, Lord of lords, King of the universe, and our Savior, the propitiation of our sins, our substitutionary sacrifice, the atonement for our sins. I mean, these things are theologically important for every Christian, not just non-denominational Christians or Methodist or Catholic Christians, we should know Jesus, celebrate Jesus, talk about Jesus, worship Jesus, fall at the feet of Jesus. That's what our faith is about. So that's my advice to you. Talk to them about Jesus. Celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life. Get them, get like wet their appetite for what Christ is doing in your life. I think that's the best way that you can help people who come from another church background and might be more into the church tradition than into faith in Christ personally. That's my advice. Send your questions in, 508-316-9333. Ask anything, anything at all. Love the questions. Ask anything or comments uh, or just uh, let us know how the Deep End podcast is helping you in your faith. Deep End News. Let's get into this. I love this. This is fantastic. Fantastic news out of Alabama. Um, before I say the news, let me share what I love about this news article. I love the fact that we in America are finally getting the chance to live like it's the New Testament times. Because what was happening in the New Testament? The apostles were preaching. Paul was going from city to city. He was telling people about Jesus. People were getting saved, baptized. Lives were being changed. And the authorities didn't like it. And so the church had to learn how to actually be the church when people didn't like them. Woe to you when people, all men speak well of you, right? So the church traditionally... And biblically speaking, especially in the first century, not well liked, not appreciated, not celebrated. Guess what? That's where we are in America today. This news uh, out of ChristianHeadlines.com, the title of the article, Atheist Group Demands Investigation After 18 Alabama Football Players Are Baptized. <laughs> okay. 
According to Fox News, 18 players for the Washington County High School were baptized in a feeding trough by Chatham Baptist Church's pastor in May. By the way, baptized in a feeding trough. How cool is that? Now that is real baptism right there. <laughs> That's no sprinkle, okay? Uh, it says that the event was recorded and posted to Facebook where most people rejoice at the site. However, one person, oh, one little angry atheist, did not find the baptism of players appropriate of the players appropriate, prompting them to reach out to the Freedom From Religion Foundation. According to Fox News, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, an atheist law firm claiming to fight to protect the separation of church and state, sent a letter to the Washington County School Superintendent in May claiming that the coach was participating in, quote, illegal, end quote, activities because of his involvement in the player's baptism. The letter claimed that one resident of the 1200 person town of Chatham contacted the Freedom From Religion Foundation, upset that the players were baptized, some <gasps> by the coach himself. <laughs> Christopher Lyon, a legal fellow at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, wrote in his letter to the superintendent that it is illegal for coaches to organize or participate in religious activities with students, including baptisms. He continued, we request that the district investigate and take the appropriate steps to ensure there will be no further illegal religious events, including team baptisms during school-sponsored activities. Hello, New Testament times. That's, I mean, we could put that right in Acts chapter 4, and it would just line up perfectly when the chief priests and the legal guys come to the Peter and the apostles and say, we demand that you stop doing this. Coaches and staff, the article continues, should be instructed that they can neither organize nor participate in religious activities with students while acting in their official capacity. Okay, but what if they do it outside of their official capacity, like outside of church, outside of school, outside of the hours of education and practice? Franklin Graham uh, weighed in on the uh, complaint by thanking God for the, quote, uh, quote, coaches and teachers across the country who are boldly living out their faith in Christ. And I, I echo, I resonate with that uh, gratitude from Franklin Graham. He wrote on a Facebook post, congratulations to these 18 football players and their coaches from Washington County High School in Chatham, Alabama. These students who had put their faith in Jesus Christ were baptized in a feeding trough while everyone celebrated well, almost everyone. And, you know, I just... Back to what I was saying. It's New Testament times, friend, in America. We're going to talk about this in the book of Revelation in just a moment. But, you know, Peter said to those religious leaders, he said, listen, you guys judge for yourselves whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you or to God. But we cannot, this is Acts chapter 4, verse 20, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so when people don't like us for our religious convictions, for when people don't like us for baptizing and celebrating baptisms, when people want to push against any kind of Christian involvement by any person hired by the state in any way, can we just not freak out and just rejoice? Can we do what the New Testament Christians did? They rejoiced. When they were persecuted, they rejoiced. Don't let these kind of articles cause you to say, oh, what's become of America? No, let's say, hallelujah, New Testament times, we get to live like Peter and the apostles. Well, not really, because we're not actually being thrown to lions yet, but... We get to kind of be hated for our faith. And Jesus said, when you are persecuted for righteousness, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Can I get an amen? Can I get a virtual amen? I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> so that's where we are. And I'm excited. And you should be too. And it leads me to our study this week, chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. So we're in chapter 18 of Revelation, and the title of this talk is Falling is Babylon. 
Revelation 18, if you got your Bibles out, you can uh, read along with me, although all the verses will be read and on the screen if you are watching by Facebook or video. Now, the theme of this chapter is the Christian's relationship to a falling world. And I mean falling, let me spell it for you, F-A-L-L-I-N-G. Is the word fallen? Yes, but it is also falling, which means that it is deteriorating. The, I think it's the second law of thermodynamics. Don't quote me on that. But it says that every closed system trends toward entropy, which means it trends toward decay. It trends toward chaos. And I always think like Newton's laws of physics also apply to the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, any closed system left to itself will tend to decay. Here's the problem with secularism. Here's the problem with paganism. Here's the problem with anti-Christian mindsets that create culture and create cities and systems where people live. It deteriorates. Apart from a divine intervention of God wherein he resurrects the church through spiritual awakening and revival, which has happened, by the way, in several centuries of human history. But apart from that kind of divine intervention from God, a culture is fallen and falling, which means deteriorating. And so what we see here now, when we talk about Babylon, we've talked about Babylon now for several weeks in a row on the podcast. Remember that, that Babylon represents the system of indulgence, sexual morality, excessive luxury, uh, just giving your body to whatever feels good, basically the mantra of our age, people, basically the mantra of America 2019, where we are following whatever feels good. A recent survey of the millennial generation showed about 60% of them said that the number one source for making a decision is their feelings. What do I feel is right? And when you follow your feelings, that's like a closed system detached from divine intervention. Guess what happens? You deteriorate. So it is with you personally and with societies and communities and nations and ultimately empires of the world and eventually the entire world. And then Jesus comes. And what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 18 is the deterioration of Babylon, the system. Now, John's writing in about A.D. 64-ish, right? And so he's talking about possibly Jerusalem or Rome itself, uh, depending on your view. You know, remember the four views? We're not talking so much about the four views anymore because we're just going to get to the text and get to the application for us today. But he's talking about what he saw as the deteriorating world systems of his day, Jerusalem or Rome. Well, what we're going to talk about today could be applied to any system in human history that has been anti-God of the Bible, that has been anti the Word of God and the Scriptures. And that leads us to America. That leads us to the West because it is a growing secularization society. It is a growing progressively anti-Bible society. And I get the privilege of preaching and teaching in New England, which is, by many accounts, post-Christian, by and large. And so what do we see? What do we see in a culture when the biblical underpinnings are ripped out from underneath it? Well, that's what Revelation 18 is all about. So let's get into it. Verse 1, here's what he says. 
After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen, E-N, by the way, is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Okay, let's start at the top of this verse because he says, first off, I saw an angel coming down and he says that it's illuminating the earth. The earth was made bright with his glory. Now, who is this angel? Is it Christ? I don't think so because of what we're going to see in verse 4, but it's an angel nonetheless. And the angel brings light to the world. And that's important because you've got to remember that the world is covered in darkness. Um, Scripture teaches us this. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the hope of the glory of Christ Jesus. So if a person is not in Christ, they are darkened in their mind, in in their spiritual vision. They cannot see. And so what's happening here in Revelation 18 is the world is covered in darkness. Now an angel is coming down from heaven with authority And he's going to pronounce judgment. He's going to pronounce the nature of things. When he says fallen, fallen, he's talking about the nature of Babylon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And what you're seeing here is their angel is revealing, he is illuminating the reality of what is unseen to the un-Christian or non-Christian mind. He is showing the church the reality of a systemic culture that is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Scripture. And what you see is this. Three times the angel says, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt, one, for every unclean spirit, a haunt, two, for every unclean bird, a haunt, three, for every unclean detestable beast. The word for haunt here is phylaki in Greek. And it means a prison or a guard or a sentinel or a dungeon. And what you see is that when Scripture is forced out of a community or society, when God is rejected, when Christ is rejected, for John in the first century, it would have been Jerusalem and uh, Rome. Where, wherever Christ is rejected, it becomes a haunt, a dungeon, a place where unclean things feel. So here's the thing. Remember when Jesus says that if you cast out demons out of a man and you don't fill him with anything else, the demon goes out and he dwells in the wilderness for a while and then he figures out, wait a second, let me get some of my friends. I'll come back and the house is all swept and clean. I'll come back with seven more demons, more ter- terrible than myself, and I'll fill that per- person. And Jesus says the the, the, the result of the man is worse than the original condition of the man. So when you reject God, it's like inviting demons into your, into your existence, into your person, into your community, into your family, into your nation. And it becomes the dwelling place of wild creatures, demons, unclean spirits, unclean birds. These are, these are pictures from Isaiah, Isaiah 13, uh, talking about Babylon's fall, verse 21. But wild animals will lie down there, and their houses will be filled with howling creatures. 
Ostriches will dwell there. Wild goats will dance there. Hyenas will cry in his towers. Jackals in the pleasant palaces. Uh, his time is close at hand, and his days will not be prolonged. He's talking about ancient Babylon, the city of Babylon, the real literal city of Babylon. And so this imagery comes to Revelation to say whenever a nation rejects God, Christ, and the, and the authority of Scripture, it becomes a prison and a dungeon, a holding cell for demonic activity. And we are seeing that today in our world. Um, and we're going to talk about how in just a moment. So verse 3, going on, it says this, For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings, notice kings, the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. I just want you to notice about verse 3 is that the... Uh, the system of Babylon, the, I don't know what you call it, the force of Babylon, the spirit, there we go. The spirit of Babylon is a spirit that indulges the authorities of a culture. It, it indulges the um, economic structures of a culture, the merchants, okay? And then consequently, the people of the culture, and what you see in our country today is, a, is exactly the same thing. The same thing that you hear from the East Coast and the power structures of Washington, D.C. are echoed on the left coast, on the West Coast, with Amazon and Apple and Google. And you're seeing this. If you're not seeing this, you need to see this. Hopefully, this will shed some light. You are seeing anti-Christian sentiment growing in the coast, on the coast of America. Now, I know this because I live on the coast, okay? So you've got the intellectual center up here in Boston. You've got the governmental center in Washington, D.C. You've got the arts and business center of New York City, right? You've got that east coast. Then you've got the west coast with all of its advancements and its technologies and kind of these central hubs of technology and advancement where it seems like it's an echo chamber from coast to coast. And they are working in alliance together. It's almost as if some they're in the back room they're saying, okay, say this. Okay, now you do this. Okay, now you do that. You pass this law and then we'll get this done. And then by the way, we'll help champion this and we'll make sure that everybody in the culture embraces this and we'll make it an economic thing and then you guys make it a legal thing. And so what you're seeing, America, what you're seeing, Christian, in your country right now is the nation, America, drinking the wine of the passion of Babylon, just enjoying the Babylonian system. Listen very carefully. There is big money to be made in anti-Christian sentiment. There is big money because when you turn from Christ, when you turn from God, you are a slave. Okay, the Bible talks about this. You are a slave to the passions of your flesh. People say, I don't want to be religious. I want my freedom. There's no such thing as freedom, friend. You're either a slave to Christ and righteousness, or you are a slave to the passions of your inner being, your flesh, or the system of the world in which you live. There is no such thing as true freedom. True freedom is a slave to Christ because he sets you free from the passions that destroy you and the desires that will absolutely kill you. Okay, but... What you have to understand is that it is very economically beneficial to a society to reject Christ because then they can come in with their forms of freedom, their postulations of what you need to be free, what you need from them to enjoy life, and this is consumerism. This is what we have in our country right now. All the different ways in which we are becoming, um, we're looking to 
what can we purchase? What can we buy? What can we prescribe? What can we get medicated on to give us the kind of life that we want? That's where we are as a country right now. And I believe that it is a system. It is a system that most people are blind to. But if you're in Christ, the angel comes and sheds light on this stuff so that you are not taken captive by the spirit of Babylon. Moving on, verse 4. Here's what he says in verse 4. Then another angel, Then I heard another voice. And so this is, I think this voice is Jesus. That's why I said the first angel. I don't think it was Jesus, but I think this is Jesus. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. All right, a couple of points about this passage. First off, verse 5, her sins are heaped high as heaven. This is a direct reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. When God says, I'm going to go down and see what's going on down there, this is Genesis 18, and he says, to see if her sin has reached me, or the outcry of her sin has reached heaven. So what you see is the the entire world becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. And there is many sins in Sodom and Gomorrah, many sins, sexual morality, homosexuality. There was also uh, inhospitality, uh, inhospitality. There was hatred for the foreigner and the alien. Uh, and there was violence. Uh, there was rape. There was sexual um, domination. And there was a disregard for humanity altogether. Lots of sins to Sodom and Gomorrah. Unfortunately, we only associate it with homosexuality, but there's lots of sins. You can read about it in Isaiah. And so what God says in Revelation 18 here to uh, the people, his people, by the way, notice, living in and among the Babylonian spirit, he says, come out. Christian, this is what Revelation is helping us see. God is calling to us in our age saying, come out of the spirit of the age. Come away from that stuff. Move out of the spirit of the age. Now, if you do your Bible research, you will find that God repeatedly calls his people out of immoral societies. So a couple of things, a couple of places in the Bible where this happens, and it happens all over the Bible. Abraham is called to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. By the way, Chaldea was in southern Babylonia, in the ancient world. And so interesting parallel here with Revelation 18. So Genesis 12, God says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Leave. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 4 says that he was called to leave the land of the Chaldeans. Again, Babylonians. The word Chaldean, by the way, means astrologer and wanderer. That's what the word Chaldean means. Leave the land of, of people who have spiritualized creation, have worshipped. That's what an astrologer does. They spiritualize creation. They look to the stars for answers. They think there's, there's answers in the created order, and they worship that. Romans chapter 1, they worship creation rather than the creator. So God says in, to Abraham, leave that, get out of that, your mind. And he's saying to us through Revelation today, get out of the system of American indulgence, greed, and sexual morality. That's what he's saying. Um, the Bible actually uh, uh, calls God's people out of immoral societies again and again. In Isaiah 48, verse 20, God calls his people out of ancient Babylon. Uh, they, this was after 70 years of exile. He says, go out from Babylon, free from Chaldea, declares 
Uh, declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Isaiah 40, verse 20. Um, now, this is interesting because they were in Babylon in the Old Testament. Israel was in Babylon because Jerusalem, their country, had become so corrupt that he actually sent them off into exile in Babylon. Now, this is an interesting picture for us in the church, and I want you to pay attention here. Israel sins. They, 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 they reach their pinnacle under a guy named Solomon. Solomon makes silver as common as stones. He's is rich. It's luxurious, again, and sexually immoral. And so God judges them. They descend into immorality, such, so much immorality that they're actually throwing their sons and daughters into the fire and worshiping the gods of the pagan nations around them. And so God says, now I'm going to hand you over to the Babylonians. I'm going to send you into exile. And they go into exile to Babylon for 70 years. This is at the end of 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles, depending on which one you read. Then he raises up a prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells the people, listen, as you go into exile to Babylon, I want you to know that this is actually God doing this. This is God leading you out of that paganism and into a place of safety, and Babylon's going to be a place, a holding place for you. And so they go into Babylon, and in Jeremiah 29, uh, God actually says to his people, seek the welfare, verse 7, of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on his behalf, for in his, if it's well, for if for, I'm sorry, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. In other words, if the city prospers, you will prosper. Babylon becomes a holding cell, but only because Jerusalem was so pagan. So he says, come out of Jerusalem. Then 70 years go by, and he says, come out of Babylon because they're about to be destroyed. So come back home. And in Zechariah 2, 6, it says this, up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you Abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. God repeatedly calls his people out of pagan nations and pagan areas. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus warns his followers to get out of Jerusalem when they see the destruction coming. This is Luke chapter 20. It's also in Matthew chapter 23. But Luke chapter 20, verse 20, 21, sorry. Luke 21, verse 20 says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you know its desolation has come near. Then let, lo, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside of the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. In other words, get out of the city when you see the destruction, when you see God's judgment coming upon the city, leave it. It's interesting that Jesus actually said, leave the city when you see God's judgment coming upon the the city. We Christians might wrongfully assume that the Christian thing is to stay in a city when God's judgment is coming upon the city, but that's not what Jesus told the first century believers. In fact, it's not even the practice of the first century believers. There, was, there came a point where the church had to leave Jerusalem because it was so immoral and corrupt. There came a point where Paul had to leave certain areas because they were immoral and corrupt and rejected Christ. Uh, that's why the gospel actually comes to us Gentiles, because the Jews rejected it. That's why Paul comes to us and, and shares the gospel with the Gentiles, because the Jews said, no, thank you. We're happy with what we're doing. And so uh, time and time again, you see in the Bible, God telling people, his people, come out of those places. And so here's, I say all that to say this. Should Christians leave places in the world where they live now? when they get utterly pagan and corrupt? That's the question. Maybe, you're, maybe you've already been asking that while I've been talking about this, but I want to answer that. I think that they should sometimes. I don't think that we need to necessarily stay in certain places when there is complete godlessness and complete rejection of all that is righteous and holy. 
Remember Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. In other words, walk away from some things. Now, I think that this, could be, this question is also a, is a micro question. It's also a macro question. In other words, macro meaning big picture. Should Christians leave entire communities when the community is corrupt and godless? Should Christians leave entire cities? You know, sometimes I think yes. And I think historically, if you look at history, it has happened on many occasions. Uh, that's, why city, that's why Christians are fleeing from places like Nigeria, and they're fleeing places like Pakistan, and they're, they're fleeing these Muslim-dominated dominate, countries right now because they are hated. And I, there is no need for you to sit and just be a doormat for an entire culture when they completely hate your Christ. You have every right to leave and go find peace somewhere else. That's okay. On a micro level, how does this apply to you, Christian, living in 21st century America? Here's how it applies. There are some society, uh, there are some societal structures that you need to stop frequenting. There are some family members you might need to walk away from. I remember I was talking about this at our weekend experience here at Water Church once about, you know, don't Christian, your your Christianity doesn't demand that you be a doormat for people. Like you're not called to be a holy doormat. Like, like, mock me, spit on me, beat me down, verbally insult me, and I'll just be here and take it because that's towing the good line of faith. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Uh, and I told the church that. You are not called to be a dorm. You are God's children. Don't let people disrespect you and just take it and take it and take it. Now, turn the other cheek, sure. In other words, don't repay evil for evil. So I had this young girl come up to me right after the service. She said, you know what? I'm living with this guy. He's my stepfather. You know, what you just said, I, I have been wrestling with this for years. I didn't know how I should act as a Christian, and I think I should move out. And I said, yes, move out. Get away from that situation. You don't have to sit in that situation. It will rob you of your peace. It will rob you of your joy. This is what God is saying in Revelation 4, 18, verse 4. Get away from some, some areas. Get away from some people. Come, some communities have zero respect for Christ, zero respect for God. You are not in any way doing yourself or the gospel a favor by towing the good line and just being a doormat and a whipping boy for such societies. Now, that being said, we often make two big mistakes when it comes to leaving a society. First, Christians mistake, mistakenly create sub-societies within the society. This is the Amish. This is the Mennonites to a lesser degree, where they completely separate from the world and they live like differently, but cloistered off in their little sub-communities. No, no, no. We're the salt of the earth. We've got to get out there. Okay, And there are areas of the world where there's openness to the gospel. We want to be out there. We want to be out among them, right? And then the second mistake that we make is called legalistic rules. And this is where we create such rigid, rigid rules around our community that everything becomes sin, everything becomes evil, everything is to be avoided, such as uh, movies, music, theater, um, playing cards, Everything <laughs> becomes like a rule, and, and it's another mistake that we make when it comes to leaving. I believe we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus said that, right? Now, that being said, there's balance in the Christian life. There's a lot of balance, friend, in the Christian life. The Christian life, at the end of the day, calls you to be centered and balanced. It really does. We talked about this about uh, on Sunday. You're dust, but you're also made in the image of the divine. That balance. Stay in the center of that, right? Well, stay in the center of how do you relate to your society? What is the Christian's relationship to the world? We are in this world, not of this world. But that means sometimes we have to move away from certain, certain societal structures, certain communities, and get to a place where we can receive and walk in peace. Okay? 
verse um, 4 stipulates, this is why you got to come out. This is why you got to come out. Look at verse 4 again. Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Look, you got to get away from some of these structural, uh, these society structure, societal structures that are pagan and godless because they will lead you astray and they will fill you with plagues. They will fill you with the consequences of sin, such as it does with the pagans and the unbelievers today. Okay, we've got to move on. Verse 6. Pay her back double, or pay her back as she has herself paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. This is verse 6. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. So does this mean that God pays back double for the sins that people have committed? No, it's a Greek euphemism, actually. It really means um, repay her for what her sins have created, her, her sins have earned. Uh, and so he's basically saying, this is what's going to happen to Babylon. The judgment of God upon Babylon is the deserved and just deserts of her revelry, of her immorality. And sin doesn't pay. Remember when we talked about this in the end of chapter 17, that the kings of the earth turn on Babylon, they turn on the prostitute, they hate her. Because why? Because they first they sleep with her, then they hate her. Because when you when you sleep with paganism, you get the results of paganism, and then you hate the results, and so you hate the pagan, the paganism in the first place. Well, this is what happens in Babylon. In every culture down through the ages, whether that was John in the first century with Jerusalem or Rome or today in America. Uh, and so you have this pervasive culture that we're involved in, but don't get sucked into it and in some cases move away from it. So Let's talk about what Babylon does. Now, now, now it's going to get uh, really detailed here. Uh, verse 7 says, She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, listen to this, I sit as a queen. This is Babylon. I sit as a queen. Just remember that queen <laughs> statement for a moment. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Okay, just look at the Boastful arrogance of Babylon. Boastful arrogance. I will never be judged. I am a queen. I'm in charge. I am no widow. And she glorifies herself. Self-love. We talked about this at the weekend at Water Church. Narcissism. Watch out. The spirit of narcissism in our culture is tremendous. Narcissistic scores on personality tests are through the roof. They are three times higher in college graduates today than they were 20 years ago. Narcissism is Self-love is based on the Greek god Narcissus, who fell in love with his reflection. And because he couldn't have a real material love affair with himself, he ended up committing suicide. It is no coincidence that in our culture, the more narcissistic we get as a culture, the more suicidal we get as a culture. Suicide is a serious problem for 12 to 14-year-olds in our country right now. A serious problem. Euthanasia is on the rise. Maine just became the eighth state in the United States to legalize euthanasia. That means the legal physician-assisted suicide of people. In other words, if I want to die... I get the doctor who actually took an oath to heal. Now I demand that that doctor break the oath to heal me, to heal and kill me. Oh, I'll tell you. 
uh, the, 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 the conflict, the internal conflict of paganism in Babylon is, is astounding. This is the day in which we live. Second uh, Timothy 3, P, P, Paul talks about this. Understand this, he says. In the last days, time, there will be times of great difficulty. Why? Verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, and holy. And the list goes on and on and on. This is what we are living in today, friend. Come out from her, Christian. Come away. You don't want to partake in her fruit. It is destructive. Okay, we've got to move on because I'm running out of time and I'm really passionate about this teaching. Verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual morality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Of course they will because there's a lot of money to be made in pagan revelry. They will stand afar off, verse 10, in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Notice now it's a single hour. It was a single day before, but now it's a single hour. In other words, the judgment of pagan countries and pagan cultures is quick. And I, want, I don't want you to miss this. God is extraordinarily patient, merciful, kind, uh, long-suffering with pagans, with immoral people, with sexual sin, with greed, with lust, with pride. He's very gracious. But listen, here's what Revelation 18 is telling us. When judgment comes, it comes quickly. It comes quickly. And this has happened over the course of human history. We will talk about that in just a moment. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. In other words, the people who are making money off of pagan revelry are going bankrupt. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wool, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, everything nice. Incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. In this passage, it's talking about the material goods that are sold and are um, used for profit through the sensual indulgence of the Babylonian system. Now, right now, a lot of people talking about the economy is booming, the economy is booming, the economy is booming, and we're almost acting like this is a sanctified thing. Sometimes in a booming economy can be the worst thing for spirits and souls. Sometimes a booming, flourishing economy where we can get more, 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 is actually... Is actually corrupting to our spirits. Um, it's just a fact. I've been a pastor in recession, and now I've been a pastor in booming economies, and I have seen that the pews don't fill up so fast when it's a booming economy. People got lots of money. They scatter. It's amazing how the more we get blessed, the less we turn to God. But those same people who are now not interested in God because they got so much money, they can go everywhere and go on vacation, do all these kind of things. The moment the recession hits, they're going to come crawling back. And we will welcome you with open arms because God's grace is always available, right? But listen, watch out for personal booming economy. It might actually corrupt your soul. That's what Revelation is teaching you here. And if ever we were living in that kind of age, we are living in that kind of age today, now, I live in the Boston area, and I'm a big Boston sports fan, but sometimes I got to vomit when I hear about some of these stories. There's a Boston Celtics star right now. He's thinking of leaving. He wants to go to L.A. He wants to play with all his friends in L.A. Good for him if he wants to. Fine. No problem. But evidently, and this is what I heard on sports radio yesterday, evidently, the Lakers can only pay him $24 million a year. 
And the report was that this is a quote-unquote snag in getting him to that team. <sighs> Friends, <laughs> when only getting paid $24 million a year to play basketball is a snag. It's called a snag. That's called opulence. That's called extravagance. That's called Babylon. And this is seriously happening right now in our country. Do you understand that the emperors of Rome were excessively extravagant? Suetonius, he's a historian for Rome. He was a Roman historian. He talks about Emperor Caligula. And he says, quote, in reckless extravagance, he outdid the prodigals of all times in, in, in ingenuity, inventing a new sort of baths and unnatural varieties of foods and feasts. For he would bathe, check this out, in hot or cold perfumed oils, drink pearls of great price dissolved in vinegar, and set before his guests loaves and meats of gold. I don't know how that worked. <laughs> eating gold meat, but they did. The emperor Nero never wore the same garment twice, never traveled with less than a thousand carriages, and had his mules ho hooves shod with silver horseshoes. Extravagance. These people died in their extravagance. They died in their luxury. Why? Because extravagance and indulgence do not fulfill the human soul. Christians, watch out that you don't get hoodwinked by this. Yes, you can thank God for wealth and increase in prosperity. I hope you are wealthy and prosperous and increased. But I hope you are also generous and, and prosperous in your goodness toward other people. Now, I don't think America is th as bad as ancient Rome, but we're getting there. We're getting there. I want you to think about the tech centers of our country. There's a serious problem, friend, right now. There's a serious problem with the tech centers of our country. And I mean, by tech centers, I mean the geographic locations. Um, let me talk about some places that you might not be familiar with. But Facebook, Google, and Apple. These three countries are literally right next door to each other. One is in Menlo Park, Facebook, Mountain View Park, California, Google, uh, Cupertino, uh, that's Apple. And, and today, they're all right near San Francisco. They're southwest, uh, I think, of San Francisco, down the um, little peninsula there. And today, San Francisco has become a quote-unquote haunt, to quote Revelation 18, a haunt for jackals a haunt for demons. Uh, this is from the San Francisco Chronicle. Despite hundreds of new shelter beds and spending more than $300 million annually on homelessness, San Francisco has seen the number of homeless people in the city rise by 17% since 2017. 17% rise since 2017, with a whopping amount of that increase coming from people living in vehicles. Now, also, with the increase in homelessness comes an increase in crime. Uh, the crime rate in San Francisco has uh, exponentially risen. Uh, it has a violent crime rate that is 59% higher than ca the California average and 87% higher than the national average. For property crime, California is 140, uh, San Francisco is 161% higher than the national average. And by the way, these are places where, and I just want you to see, because what, what I see is money floods into these centers, the ge these geographical locations, because Facebook is one of the most profitable companies in the world, Google and Apple. The three most profitable companies, three of the most profitable companies in the world, right next door to each other. Money flies in, and income inequality is a serious problem, and so you get homelessness, you get rising housing rates, rising cost of living, rising problems. And so what happens is the, the extravagance of these areas becomes a problem for the areas themselves. And today, the city is covered in um, feces and, and waste and syringes 
for drug illegal drug use. Uh, this is a serious problem. Uh, by the way, did you see there in verse 13? It says, uh, in verse 13, it says, slaves, that is human souls. This is also a growing trend in America right now. In some of the biggest, most prosperous cities of our country, they have a serious problem with sex trafficking in America. Sex trafficking is not a problem relegated to uh, Eastern Europe and the Middle East and poverty-stricken nations in Africa. No, it's coming home to roost here in America. It's coming right here to our prosperous, flourishing cities. Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Orlando, Miami, Las Vegas, the top five cities in America for human trafficking. Uh, evidence, this is um, a piece from the thegospelcoalition.org. Uh, Donna M. Hughes, she's St. Thomas University Human Trafficking Academy professor. She notes that evidence seems to show that legalized sex industries actually result in increased trafficking to meet the demand for women to be used in the legal sex industries. Ugh, this is, this is growing. It is not, it is not lessening. Um, prostitution is going to be the next battle for the progressive politi- pol- uh, politicians. Legalized prostitution is going to become the next battle line for the progressive politicians out there. You think it's going to stop with homosexual marriage? You think it's going to stop with transgender reassignment surgeries being paid for by the government? No. We're, we're talking about unfettered access to sexual indulgence. And what happens is the areas where this stuff gets promoted and adopted and accepted become haunts. They become haunts, dungeons, okay, for more of the same. Let's talk about Seattle. Seattle's where Microsoft comes from. Uh, Microsoft, again, another geographical location in Seattle where billions of dollars have just flowed into that that company and then by consequence that community, Bill Gates and all the heads of Microsoft making billions upon billions upon billions of money on these companies. Again, what happens is it creates income disparity, it creates income inequality, and then it creates problems of homelessness and um, shelters, uh, not being able to house the people who are struggling. Uh, It's a serious problem. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture. I I want you to see this picture. This is an aerial view of a city in our world. Now, just take a look at it. If you're not... If you're not watching and listening, I'll just describe it. It looks like you some of really rough uh, buildings. Um, and then in the middle of this circle of buildings, there is this kind of like tent um, city kind of thing. This just this, this uh, like, you know what? I was in South Africa. We used to, they, they call this uh, squatter camps. People just squat and, and live there. Okay. Is this India? Is this Guatemala? Is this Mexico? Is this somewhere in the Central Americas? No. Guess where this is? This is Seattle. This is an aerial picture of Seattle, Washington. This is America. Look at, by the way, just how disgusting the buildings are around the tent city. Forget the tent city. That's where the, the people are homeless just pitching tents there. This, look at the buildings are disgusting. This is America 2019. This is America 70 years after the sexual revolution. This is America 70 years after we take prayer and Bible reading out of public schools. This is America 2019 as we have embraced sexual morality and, and, and greed and luxury and indulgence and uh, excessive uh, uh, forms of uh, greed and indulgence, this is America. 
And Seattle home has a homeless crisis. Uh, in 2000, through 2013, the homeless population was re- relatively stable. This is a report from foxnews.com. But it's just about, tra- it's absolutely tragic that we have people living here inside of a cemetery that are dealing drugs outside of a cemetery and are running prostitution in a cemetery. But you see it all over the streets of Seattle. They find needles, drugs, they find human feces all over the place, and they have to clean it all up. This is, this is America. By the way, back to San Francisco for a moment. Uh, according to newspunch.com and NBC.com, San Francisco has been declared one of the world's filthiest slums with conditions dirtier than slums found in third world nations such as Kenya or India. By the way, I was in Kenya a couple months ago, and Kenya looks pretty darn good. It's on the upswing. It's got a, actually, it's got a very biblically-based governmental parliament in Kenya right now. They're, very, they're moving in the opposite direction of our country. And you can see the results. Our country is going down. Their country's going up. Uh, anyway, this is from NBC, and I, and I love this. This is how, you know, when I talk about darkness, when I talk about the blindness of unbelievers, this is from NBC. One of the city supervisors of, of, San, Francisco, of San Francisco, her name is Hillary Ronan, and she says this, it's absolutely unacceptable that we're in this mess. We're losing tourists. We're losing conventions in San Francisco. All of this is happening because we aren't addressing the root cause. Okay, good. Okay, she's going to talk about the root cause. The root cause. What's the root cause? What do we need? How do we fix this? Okay, here's her answer. Ready? Are you ready? This is her answer. We need more temporary beds for street homelessness. What? You, you want to make more room for more homeless people? Like, you want to make it easier to be homeless? That's your solution. <laughs> then the article goes on. This is from NBC.com. Ronan believes San Francisco has been too focused on permanent housing for the homeless and that the city has neglected to provide enough temporary shelters which can provide the homeless a respite from the streets. The city currently has 20, about 2,000 temporary beds. Ronan, however, believes an additional 1,000 beds are needed. Listen to this line. At a cost, how much do you think... <laughs> How, how much do you think it costs to put a thousand beds, temporary beds, mind you, in a city? What do you think? Let's just go to IKEA and let's get those, you know, those IKEA beds. I think they're one hundred and fifty-nine dollars. You can put a nice IKEA bed together. Okay, put it out on the street. So a thousand times one hundred and fifty—that's one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay, yeah, let's let's make the city pay one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I'm all for caring for the homeless. Nope, mm-mm, not the price tag that this San Francisco. Uh, supervisor says she wants to pay $25 million for 1,000 temporary beds. My goodness, those beds must have the most amazing back support and cushiony, softy pillow top. I'm talking it must be like a water bed slash space bed slash cook you breakfast bed. I, it's got to have the George Foreman grill attached to the foot of the bed, only don't burn your foot like Michael Scott, if you know what I'm talking about. And it's got to be one of these amazing beds that should fly you around the city for that cost. A thousand beds for $25 million? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Anyway, what you see, friends, is the DK of Western society. It is happening in our cities, and it is going to flow out of the cities into our neighborhoods. And I almost fear to tell you this because it's almost, to me, it feels like it's just going to happen. It's not going to stop. Second law of thermodynamics. Any, any, any entity, any closed system left to itself trends toward entropy and not towards um, 
organization. I forget what the uh, scientific term for the opposite of entropy is, but nonetheless. So it is with societies. So it is with communities. What's our hope? Our hope is in hopefully that God, and uh, our hope is in that Jesus comes back, really. Or that we have another great awakening in America because we need one. We need one. Hey, the first great awakening, I believe, caused this country to gain its independence from Britain. The second great awakening caused us to put slavery out of this country. We need a third, uh, the third great awakening, I call that the Pentecostal revival of 1906. I, I think that that stemmed the tide of scientific rationalism and perver- preserved the church for the last 120 years. We, needed a, we need a fourth great awakening. And I, I'm praying for one. I hope you should, I hope you are too. Let's go on because I got to get through this um, chapter. I'm going to skip because uh, verse, um, sorry, verse 14 to 20 just talks about all the wealth, all the ways in which you can read that later. Just Destroyed. Again, single hour, laid waste. Verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and be found no more. Okay, so when it says millstone thrown into the sea, that should resonate with you. Remember that Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 5 and 6, He says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now here in Revelation chapter 18, verse 21, it says that the angel took up a great stone like a great millstone and threw it in the sea and said, that's what Babylon's going to be like. It's going to be like a millstone. So what does that tell me? Here's, here's how Scripture interprets Scripture. Jesus said, when you abuse a child, when you abuse a child, it'd be better if we take a millstone tied around your neck and throw you into the sea. And then Babylon is referred to as being tied like a millstone into the sea, thrown like a millstone into the sea. What does it tell you about Babylon? Babylon abuses children. Babylon abuses children. And the darkest circles of hell are reserved for people and societies that hurt children. Amen? I think everybody should agree with that. But the question is, what's the mistreatment of children? Did you know that there's a new trend in the LGBT community? Pride Month, let's talk about it. Sending drag queens to public libraries to read stories to children is called... The Drag Queen Story Hour. You can look it up online yourself. The Drag Queen Story Hour. And this is from their website. The Drag Queen Story Hour is just what it sounds like. Drag queens reading stories to children in libraries, schools, and bookstores. Drag Queen Story Hour captures the imagination and play of the gender fluidity of childhood and gives kids glamorous, positive, and unabashedly queer role models. In spaces like this, kids are able to see people who defy rigid gender restrictions and imagine a world where people can present as they wish, where dress-up is real. And I just want you to see this picture on the screen. This is from their website. Just look, for instance. Here you got a mother on the right there. She's kind of like pushing her child, clad in a rainbow flag dress there, toward a man dressed as a freaking woman with makeup and a weirdly large hand and nose and just all the bone structure of a man and the kid's face is like screaming at this mother saying, please don't make me look at this person. I don't understand what this is. And this is their promo material on their website. This is how crazy we are getting as a culture, friend. This is how crazy is getting America. Wake up. Here's a picture from their Facebook page that they just had a drag queen story hour in Boston. Boston, Mass- oh my gosh. Look at the guy on the, on the, on the left. This is scary to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't go on. I can't go on. I, I can't go on. I can't. I can't. Oh. If you're only listening, I'm sorry. 
But you gotta you gotta tune into the YouTube channel and see this for yourself, and fast forward about sixty minutes into the podcast, and you will see. Oh my goodness! Oh. by the way, some of these drag queens have been have been exposed as child sex offenders. Yes, in Houston, two cases of child sex offenders are the drag queens reading stories to children in libraries. Libraries. Why don't we hear about these things? Because the systems work together, friend. What did I tell you before? The left coast and the east coast, the right coast and the left coast, they work together to cover it up so that you don't see it. That's why you have to have a Bible teaching ministry that will tell you the truth. What other ways are we abusing children? What other ways? Abortion. Abortion is a serious problem in our country, and, and I don't know what is going on with the Democratic Party, but evidently you cannot run for the Democratic primary unless you are absolutely 100% committed to killing children in the womb and getting tax money to pay for it. This is, this is happening in the Democratic Party right now. Joe Biden, who used to be a moderate, who used to have moderate views on abortion, he didn't want taxpayers actually paying for abortions. Now he had to change his opinion and say that he would repeal the Hyde Amendment, which restricts uh, tax money from paying for abortions. Now he says, no, 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 we're going to repeal that because I need to win this primary and I'll do anything for votes. This is the coast working together. This is the system of Babylon. New York City, this is crazy. New York City just created a taxpayer fund of $250,000. Check this out. To pay for the abortions of women who cannot afford them from conservative states where abortion practices have been limited by law. So if you're in New York City and you're a Christian, friend, right now, your tax dollars, this is what's happening. This is from the New York Times, by the way. This is not some conservative, you know, Christian website, you know, conspiracy theory. This is from the New York Times. They just allocated $250,000 of taxpayer money to pay for the abortions of women from other states because, heaven forbid, they don't have the legal protection necessary to kill their children. This is child abuse. Drag Queen Story Hour is child abuse. Abortion is not child abuse. It is idolatry and wickedness. And God will judge. And you say, it doesn't look like God's going to judge. That's exactly what they said in Jerusalem in AD 70. It's exactly what they said in Rome in 471 AD. It's exactly what they said in the city of Pompeii in 79 AD. And in one day, these cities, in one hour in some cases, the city of Pompeii, when Mount Vesuvius erupted and destroyed that city, quickly, so quickly that it actually preserved um, people lying in beds in molten ash and was discovered in, I think, 1500 AD. One day, one hour, these cities were destroyed. This is going to happen to the world, friend. It's happened throughout history. It will happen again. The Bible predicts it. The Bible has talked about it historically to predict it for the future. And so we need to come out of this culture, of this context. We need to watch ourselves. So verse 22, we got to close this out. I'm sorry, it's been a long podcast, but let me just close this out. And the sound of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And the craftsmen of any craft will not be found in you. And the sound of, mu of the mill will not be heard in you anymore. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bride and bridegroom will not be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Man, if that doesn't describe like any major metropolitan city in our country, I don't know what does. You think about it, arts, music, industry, bride and bridegroom. Um, you just think about it. You could make any city be the, the description of this city. 
Now, I don't think America's there yet. I don't want to be too doomsday here today. Today, I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're getting there. I think without a divine intervention, without a Holy Spirit revival from coast to coast, God's done it before, he can do it again. I pray he does, because I love America. I love this country, and I love my neighbors. I want my neighbors to flourish, and I want this country to flourish. But it will not flourish if the spirit of Babylon takes root in our society more and more and more. We need a revival, or we need Jesus to come. And one of those two things is going to happen. One of those two things is going to happen. And my soul, and I hope your soul, my soul is ready for either one. So, all that to say what? To say what? What's the summary? I got I to gotta come up, I got to give you some, some teaching, some, some principles. Number one, the Christian's response to the falling of Babylon. Come into the light. Come into the light. Remember how this chapter started? The, 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 the angel comes down from heaven with a great authority, and the earth was made bright by his glory. So come into that brightness. Come into that. Wake up. Christians, wake up and see what's happening. See what's happening around you. Keep tuning into the deep end. I will continue to teach you the truth regardless of whether or not people like it. If YouTube has kept this stream up this long, it's just because none of their higher-ups have seen it yet. (laughs) As soon as they see me talk about the drag drag queen story hour, they're going to cut me off. But this is what's happening. Censorship of Christianity, censorship of biblical values is happening. Come into the light. Get into a church. Get into a gospel-preaching church. Number two, regard the things of this world rightly. So the things of this world are not evil in in and of themselves. It's the way we use them, and that's what Babylon represents. The selfishness, the indulgence, the the opulence, the excessive luxury. Watch out. You know, the bride of Christ, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, actually is also dressed in fine linen and adorned with jewels, and it's good. So jewels are not bad. Fine linen is not bad. It's how we regard them. Third, the kingdoms of this world will fall, and I put this in parentheses, in parentheses including America. I get this from um, the older members of my congregation here is they look at America and they are fit to be tied. They just don't know what's going on. They can't, they can't resolve this. I, I, in the younger generation, I don't think they have any problem. In our church, have no problem because they just understand, look, this is what our country has become. This is what it is. It's just what it is. I'm a Christian now. So, you know. So to the older Christians out there, I would say, what did you expect? Like, what did you expect from your country? Your country could not, the more and more it walked away from Christian values and, and biblical norms, what did you expect, older Christians? You should have been telling the younger Christians long ago, this is going to happen. Here's, here's what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. I mean, I know you could have never predicted Drag Queen Story Hour. I couldn't have predicted that either. But this is where we are. And so we don't say, we don't fall in love with America. We fall in love with Jesus. We fall in love with Jesus. Number four, the kingdom of Christ without boundaries, constitutions, laws, or ethic, ethnic limitation is the only kingdom that lasts. Notice what I put there. It is a kingdom without boundaries. In other words, all can come. It is a kingdom without constitutions. Why? Because, and, and laws. Why? Because his law is written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Christian is. A Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads us in truth and righteousness. And it's without ethnic limitation. In other words, all tongues, all tribes, all colors, all nations come into the kingdom of Christ through the same blood that saved me, the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, I think this sums up well our discussion today. 1 Peter 2.9-12, and I'll close with this. But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. In other words, come out of Babylon. And then verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they are right now, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The kingdoms of this world will fall. Jesus' kingdom will last. And he's coming back to come and bring you out of Babylon. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. I look forward to seeing you next week here on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End Podcast. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and in your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.